We're, um, we're going to read together this morning 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 27. And as you're looking that up, um, let me give some context to the text. This uh, open letter is written in almost a, a spiral style. And as you would climb a spiral staircase and be able to appreciate photographs from different positions and angles, as we work our way through 1 John, we can actually appreciate some of the, the, key, the key truths and the key themes of the letter from, from different, different positions. Many scholars will focus on the two key themes of 1 John as being God is light and God is love. God is light in, in chapter 1, verse 5, and God is love in chapter 4, verse 8. John's concern for the reader here is to encourage us to reflect God's light in, in right behavior and a holding to the truth, and God's love in, in, in right behavior. Sorry, God's light in right belief, and God's love in right behavior. Uniting forever doctrine and experience, mind and heart, truth and love and word and spirit. The passage we're going to look at this morning um, highlights for us another key reason why uh, John has written this, this, this letter. To correct heresy and a deviation from the truth. John was very close to Jesus. He had seen the the personification of God in Jesus, or in other words, the incarnation of Christ. And he testifies to this in in chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And John will not abide any false teaching or any disputing of this fact. Now, many New Testament letters uh, were were written to correct false teaching, but I believe 1 John is is particularly appropriate to us because it was possibly the last letter written. It's possibly the last canonical scripture we have written in about AD 85 to 95. And the false teachers of John's day are more sneaky and subtle and sophisticated than before, just like they are today. So here in 1 John, we have a fantastic template to apply to all teaching that we receive just to ensure that we know we have the truth. So let's read together 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 27. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies his son has the father. Whoever acknowledges his son has the father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the son and in the father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. 
I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as his anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Truth. The world around us today will teach that truth differs from person to person. A typical quote might be, I don't believe that there's one truth. There's so many different people, so many different ways of looking at things. How could there just be one truth? The world around us points to relativism, truth being relative to a person's situation and not absolute. But if truth is relative, then absolute right and wrong become obscure and and, and fuzzy. So is there any absolute truth in this complex and uncertain world that we live in today? The great philosopher Elvis Presley said, said, truth is like the sun. You can shut it out for a while, but it ain't going away. And Winston Churchill said, truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it. Ignorance may deride it. But in the end, there it is. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Tom Cruise and a few good men shouted, I want the truth, Zach Nicholson shouted back at him, you can't handle the truth. But can we handle the truth? In this last hour, in these last days, in this hour of deception, what is our model? Well, John says we can handle the truth when we balance word and spirit. John says what we received, what we heard from the beginning, the word, we are to remain in it. In the sound doctrine, John also says we have the spirit to teach the truth and we are to remain in the spirit. John says we can handle the truth if the word remains in us and if we remain in the spirit. And as we look into the text, I want that to be our, our key theme that, that we get from this, this, this morning. And as we, as we look at that, I want us to look at three particular things. First of all, the deception and, and the lies that people are teaching um, in John's day. And then we'll look at the spirit and then we'll look at the word. So let's look into the text. At verse 18, John speaks of the last hour. And in this context, this, this matches the New Testament phrase of the last days, which is a period between the first and the second comings of Christ, between Pentecost and, and Christ's return, a period called the age of the church, a period that we are in at the minute, an age where there is one more major event that has to happen, the return of Christ as king and judge. John points out how we know it's the last hour. The Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. The last hour is an hour in which the spirit of the Antichrist will be increasingly active. During this time, our time, the false teachers will appear and and they have appeared. The Bible talks about this period as being marked by hostility from the world and from the devil. Sometimes this will be direct persecution And sometimes this will be subtle infiltration within the church. So what is the deception? What are are the lies that that John is talking about that, that these false teachers are spreading? In verse 19, 
John talks about the Antichrist who were in the church, but they left. They did not belong. Here in, in Ephesus, which John probably was and, and is writing this, this, this letter to Ephesus and also probably to the, as an open letter to the rest of churches in, in Asia Minor. But here in, in Ephesus, there has probably been a split in the church. People have left. Those who are against Christ, who are against the fundamental teachings of, of the gospel, they have held ideas that are different and, and they have separated themselves. And they can be recognized because they have separated themselves. John, who is an eyewitness of the Incarnation, warns readers in the passage of those who will try to lead them astray, who will try to lead them from the truth. He warns again in in chapter 4, verse 1 to 6, to reject false teaching and to test the acknowledgement of Jesus being the Christ and coming in flesh from God. We see in verse 22 and 23, John, speaking of the false teachers denying that Jesus is the Christ, they deny the Father and the Son. And if an individual does not recognize the true meaning of Christmas, that baby Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, was and is the Christ, God's own Son, sent from the Father as our Savior to die for our sins, then that individual is against Christ. He cannot have a relationship with God in the way God intended because they deny the very way that that relationship can happen. Jesus is the Messiah. Whoever rejects him rejects God's rescue plan. Whoever accepts him accepts the Father at the same time. In Mark 8, 29, Jesus asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, You are the Christ. Any sort of cults or or false belief will deny that Jesus is the Christ, will deny that Jesus is Lord. And we must expose this heresy and this false teaching. John doesn't pull any punches, and neither should we. John talks of what were probably Gnostics at the time, who were denying the incarnation, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus. He calls them liars. The errors of John's day were that Christian faith was, was being, beginning to accommodate the ideas of, of the, the world around it. And we're possibly in, a, in the same sort of danger. The world around us has this existentialist philosophy in that um, philosophy is based on an own, own individual person's perspective. We need to make sure that we're not allowing that into our Christianity. We need to challenge that. We need to to make sure that we're not basing our uh, judgment on personal individual feelings. We need to ensure that we're basing judgment on the the God's revealed truth from from his Holy Scripture. John does not spend a lot of time critiquing the errors in this passage, and and neither will I. John proclaims the truth, and he knows where the truth is declared, error will erode and eventually collapse. So let's, let's move on and see how, in truth, we can stand against that deception, how we let the word remain in us, and how we remain in the spirit. This is probably the most important uh, thing to draw out of this fairly complex passage, how the word and the spirit work together to guard us against deception. If we look first at the Spirit, looking at verse 20, 
But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. When someone becomes a Christian, they receive the Holy Spirit. The anointing in in verse 20 and in verse 27 refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives. In Acts 10, 38, it says that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And in, in 1 John 4, 13, we can see that it says God has given us his Spirit. So the anointing, I would, research, I would say in, in verse 20 and verse 27, refers to the Holy Spirit coming into our hearts when we become Christians. Now looking at that anointing, it's important to look at the point in, in verse 27 where John says you do not need anyone to teach you. We have to be clear what John means by this. Obviously, John believes in teaching. He's written this letter to teach the, the Christians And he does believe that it's important to have have Christian teaching. But what he's saying here is that um, the Holy Spirit is the divine teacher. And there is no additional secret knowledge needed. No higher state of understanding. How does the Spirit that we have received enable us to know the truth? How does it actually happen? Well, verse 24 is key. What it shows is that the truth which the Holy Spirit enables us to know was delivered in the preaching of the apostles. It says, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. John stresses that the truth that is in them they have heard from the beginning of the Christian walk, the fundamentals of the faith preached by the apostles. The antidote to falling into uh, false teaching on the Christian faith is to hold firm to the fundamentals of the faith taught by the apostles and confirmed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I spoke at the beginning of the two key themes of this letter, God is light and and God is love, and and how John also wrote this letter to to correct heresy and and false teaching. But, But John also wrote this letter to give the Christians of the time assurance of their faith. And John gives three measures of knowing that that they are Christians. And I looked at John Stott's commentary from 1963, and he talks about the three, um, three tests where we can have assurance that we are Christians. The moral test, the social test, and the doctrinal test. Now, no one can say who, or who, who is a Christian or who is not a Christian. That's a matter for God. But if we want to have assurance in our faith, we can apply these three tests. The first, the moral test. True Christian does not continue to sin. We see that in chapter 3, verse 9. And Tim talked about that last week. Last week whenever he talked about, obviously Christians do sin and we continue to sin. And we cannot deny that we are sinners. But there is a general pathway to, away from sin talked about the plant on the windowsill growing towards the light. You know, we have to see a movement towards God and away from sin to have assurance that we are Christians. The second one, the, the social test, true Christians love other Christians. We see that in chapter 3, verse 14. And the third test, which we see in this passage here, is the doctrinal test. Chapter 2, verse 21. True Christians hold the truth. Now, these are tests... People may be Christians, but these are tests that can give us assurance in our faith. When we are hit by doubt, we should not give up what we know because there's something that we don't know. And the answer to doubt maybe doesn't lie so much in faith, but in truth. 
Truth is an objective reality outside of ourselves. And it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And we can have that blessed assurance when we sense within us the truth confirmed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Word. In 2 John verse 9, John warns of the, the dangers of progressiveness in the doctrines of Christ. Anyone who runs ahead and, and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So the opposite of, of remaining in what you have heard from the beginning is to run ahead to new secret knowledge offered by Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Charles Russell, Sun Moon, David Koresh, and all these other teachers of this last days, this, these, these days of deception. So the work of the Holy Spirit is, is not to take us beyond the teaching of the apostles. It is to help us accept and abide in the teaching. It is to help us grow in our understanding of that teaching. It strengthens our power to practice that teaching. It increases our confidence in the truth of that teaching. But it does not change the teaching. It does not progress the teaching. These Christians of, of John's day knew their stuff. John's telling them that, that they, what they believe is true. But they have been infiltrated by false doctrine. Denying the fundamental basics of the Christian faith. And they have to be careful. They have to be on their guard. It's important for us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of our faith so that we can give an account for it when we are called to. But we must ensure that we remain rooted in the fundamentals of the faith. We must let the word remain in us. In verse 24, it reads that, See that what you have heard from the beginning, the word, God's truth, the teaching of the apostles, remains in you. And John repeats the word remain. If we want to keep going, if we want to keep growing as Christians, if we want to stay on track against the elements, then the objective truth of God's word needs to remain in us and be allowed to settle in our hearts and in our minds permanently. We need to be constantly relearning the great truths of the gospel we had from the beginning of our Christian faith. The character of God, the person of Christ, his atoning death, his resurrection life, our universal human sinfulness, the grace of God and salvation, the process of becoming like Jesus, and our hope of an eternal life. Starting is, is much easier than continuing, much easier than remaining. And during tough times, self-discipline is the order of the day. But as Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 reads, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The Christian life is no automatic pilot. We have to ensure that we keep on keeping on. We have to remain focused. Recently I was on a plane, like I always am, and I was, I was flying to Chicago and the Windy City nothing, the windy way to the Windy City more like. We, the turbulence was incredible and uh, everyone was getting a bit nervous and the, uh, the captain came on and said, 
don't worry. It was an Angus plane. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, this, this plane is very new. And I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm not worried. So, strangely, <laughs> he, he, he gave us this, uh, this, this ease of, of our conscience. But um, I looked at the little, um, little flight map in, the, in, this, in, in front of the, the seat in front of me. And we were going in this kind of zigzag, like, a, like a, a sailing ship would tack into the wind. And I didn't really realize planes did that, Peter. <laughs> You may have known. But, um, you know, he, he told us that we were going to take an extra hour and a half to get there because we had to tack into these winds that were well over 200 miles per hour. But, you know, the pilot knew where he was going. He had set the coordinates. He knew he had to buckle up. He knew he had to draw on his training, what he had known from the beginning, and keep on. And like a Christian, the pilot couldn't just turn on the automatic pilot in that situation. He had to counteract what elements were, were, were forcing against him. So whenever we think of ourselves, how do we as Christians not get blown off course by false teaching and by the spirit of the Antichrist? The answer is by letting the word and the spirit work together to guard us from deception. So we have to try and apply all of this into our lives today John says we can handle the truth we can handle the truth and we can guard against deception if we let the word remain in us and if we remain in the spirit the truth exists as a living reality independent of us but we need God's glorious word to permanently abide in our hearts and in our minds and in our wills to permeate our, our very existence how do we actually do that? How do we allow that to happen? Practice. Practice makes perfect. Whether we're learning lines, whether we're learning anything, juggling, whistling, getting a good tennis serve, you have to practice. When I was a boy, I was a very keen skateboarder. And I used to spend hours and hours outside in front of my house trying to learn how to ollie. Now, some of you might know what, not know what that is, but it's whenever you sort of jump up and you allow the skateboard to jump up with you and you can clear obstacles, be that a brick or a curb or, or your friend lying in the street, something like that. And it took a long time to learn it. It literally took me years and years of pushing my skateboard in front of my house and running into a curb and trying to jump, click, and allow my mind to process all of the angles that it needed to process and things that my ankles needed to do to allow that to happen. But eventually, with practice, it became part of me. I didn't have to think about it. My, my body knew what to do. And you know, after all these years, it's still there. <laughs> A few weeks ago, I was round at the Johnson's house um, for an East Belfast uh, home group party. And I saw what was possibly Ben's skateboard at the side of the house. And I, I gave a little push and a jump clicked. And it, it, it happened. I ollied until it became part of my very being. John says we need to give time to God's word. Working deeply within us. So we can remain in God. Now, when it comes to skateboarding, I'm actually out of practice. I did 
sort of land badly and hurt my ankle. <laughs> I felt like an old, decrepit man. But in this text, you know, when it comes to the word, we have to practice and we have to stay in practice. We should let the word abide in us. There's only two commands in this text. First one in verse 24. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And in verse 27. As his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Let the word remain in you. Remain in the spirit. Today's world is not a world that accepts truth. We need to shine with the truth. People are crying out for the truth and they don't realize it. The truth will set them free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Today, there are all sorts of ingenious distortions of Christian teaching. Leading academics and and church dignitaries are unwilling to affirm without hesitation the incarnation of Christ, his sacrificial atoning death, and his bodily resurrection. As we hear these denials of the Christian fundamentals, we see that Christians are being deceived. And and two things account for this. A lack of grounding in the word and a lack of life in the spirit. In other words, when people have no theological depth and no real experience of the Holy Spirit, they are sitting ducks for the deceiver. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 27 is written to a situation like ours. And the two things John strives for is a deeper rooting in the word of God and a deeper experience of the spirit of God. But it's wonderful to know that if we do have God's word in our hand and God's spirit in our hearts, we have everything we need. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we love the Word. May we live in the Word. May we pray the Word. May we memorize the Word. And before every sentence, help us to lay ourselves open to whatever your Spirit wants to do with us by the Word. Lord, we rejoice in your Word and in what we have read this morning. The fact that if what we heard from the beginning remains in us, that we will remain in the Son and in the Father. And Lord, we rejoice in what verse 25 teaches us, that you have promised eternal life. Amen.